Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. If you're practicing emergency medicine anywhere in the United States, chances are you've encountered someone with opioid use disorder and likely have also treated someone for an opioid overdose. We know that there are effective treatments available for opioid use disorder, but connecting patients with these treatments from the ED remains challenging. And we know very little about how to meet these patients where they are in a way that encourages connection with effective treatment. Today we're discussing a recent article in AEM entitled, a Qualitative Study of Emergency Department Patients Who Survived an Opioid Overdose, Perspectives on Treatment and Unmet Needs. First author, Dr. Katherine Hawk, is here to discuss it with us. Dr. Hawk is an assistant professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine and an attending physician in the Yale New Haven Hospital Emergency Department. She's board certified in emergency and addiction medicine, and her research primarily focuses on opioid overdose prevention with a focus on harm reduction and linkage to treatment for ED patients with opioid use disorder. Don't forget to read the full text of this article available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Dr. Hawk, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about your paper. Thank you so much for having me. So first, I'd like to just set the stage. I think every listener knows the impact that opioid use disorder has had on the U.S. population and likely has firsthand experience caring for patients after an opioid overdose. So can you first just quantify for us how many patients we are talking about and what the risk of subsequent death is for patients that we see in the emergency department who survive their first overdose? Sure. So as far as the overall rates for non-fatal overdose, we actually don't have a great number because we know that a large number of folks don't actually even come to the emergency department when experiencing a non-fatal overdose. Uh, as far as outcomes, we certainly know that uh, there was a paper published um, using linked Massachusetts health data by um, Scott Weiner and his group um, that essentially showed us that the one-year mortality for folks who are seen in the ED for non-fatal overdose, you know, at least using their linked data, data set, was about 5% at one year. And so this is, we're talking about otherwise young and healthy folks, um, you know, who in general, we don't expect to have anywhere near that, that, that mortality. Right. So was there a particular experience that led you to design this particular study? Like what motivated your team to start this work? So I've, I've had a longstanding interest in opioid overdose prevention and trying to understand how we can help meet the needs of people who, who come to our emergency department um, after overdose or uh, otherwise with, with opioid use disorder. And one of the things that, that you know, we noticed is you know, we certainly have lots of ideas about how to best care for patients uh, after opioid overdose. Specifically, if you go back and look at um, a paper also using the, that linked data set by Mark La Rochelle, uh, they you know, found that folks that who were engaged in treatment with methadone or buprenorphine in the year after a non-fatal overdose had significantly lower likelihoods of mortality. And so we know that we have medications that work, um, specifically buprenorphine and methadone, to reduce um, future mortality for people with untreated opioid overdose or untreated opioid use disorder or opioid overdose. Um, but we know that that many patients may not be interested in engaging in these treatments. And so, um, really, the the genesis of this study was and struggling with. You know, we have lots of ideas about what we think that people who come to our ED need, uh, but really, we don't have a great sense of of what 
what the patient's primary concerns are and what their needs are and the things that they're most concerned about uh, over an opioid overdose. And there was it was very clear that that those um, perceptions were not aligned. And so I was hoping to gain insight into you know helping to figure out what it is that people really need in this um, really vulnerable, you know, highly important uh, interaction. So in the paper, you make the point that much is known about outcomes for patients who are linked to effective outpatient treatment, but that not much is known at all about the perspectives of emergency department patients on their needs and what role the ED might potentially play in assisting them in meeting those needs. And so, of course, your paper seeks to rectify that. But before we get into the meat of your study, can you underscore for us what outcomes are like for patients who do find their way to effective outpatient treatment for opioid use disorder. And I guess the corollary to that is why we should all feel that it's more imperative that effective treatment should be routine. Uh, Thank you for that question, because I think this is an incredibly important one that is often not, um, doesn't resonate and has not been part of sort of core medical education for many people who practice in the emergency department. And the things that we know, and this is based on sort of decades of research around outcomes associated with methadone and buprenorphine, uh, we know that people who are exposed to these treatments uh, with opioid use disorder, that they, you know, not only have lower opioid-associated mortality, but they also have uh, better engagement with treatment rates. They have lower HIV and hepatitis C transmission. They're better able to engage in their daily lives, to engage with their family members. Um, you know, overall, it is, you know, not just, um, you know, one particular outcome, but people really do better in a whole sphere of outcomes, you know, if they are engaged um, in, with methadone or buprenorphine. Excellent. So bringing it back to your study, this qualitative study sought to explore patients' perspectives on substance use treatment, uh, their perceived needs, and what factors shaped the decisions of patients who'd survived an opioid overdose in the ED. What might prompt them to engage with treatment and support services in the acute post-overdose period? So let's talk about your methods. Tell us how you went about this. Sure. So we um, we did a purposeful recruitment of 24 adult emergency department patients um, who were who were in the ED after uh, experiencing a non fatal overdose, uh, and th- these folks were enrolled between June 2016 and August 2017, uh, and this was done primarily primarily in our um, in the Yale New Haven emergency department. And what were the characteristics of these patients? So in general, so it was a sort of a wide range of folks. Um, who came in after a non-fatal overdose, um, they were primarily, they, and they reflected really our, our, our primary patient population. They were primarily um, Caucasian. Um, in general, they were you know, in their 30s. Uh, the breakdown, I think it was about two-thirds men and about a third uh, women. Um, what's, one of the things that was quite interesting to us was we uh, found that only about 83, a little over, 80% of folks actually met criteria for opioid opioid use disorder or opioid dependence, uh, which is not necessarily what we think about with opioid people we see after opioid overdose. Hmm. Um, they certainly had multiple prior overdoses. I think there was a range of one to 10 um, for the folks that we talked to. And most of, the, most of the patients that we enrolled had recently used what they thought to be heroin. Um, and, you know, none explicitly thought they were using fentanyl, you know, or, or prescribed um uh, prescription medications. Okay. So what information were you looking for in the survey? And what was the format of the semi-structured 
interviews. Like I imagine these are very sensitive, like who performed the interviews and, and what training had they had to conduct them? Sure. So the, so the basic survey was just to, just to cl- collect some very so high-level high demographics so we would know who we were talking to. And those are the characteristics that I just outlined. Um, for, the, um, for the semi-structured interview, um, I actually conducted the vast majority of these interviews, I think probably 22 out of 24. Oh. Um, I had an RA that I think that collected two of them, you know, who were folks that had been trained by me and, you know, seen me do uh, more than a dozen mm-hmm. uh, each. And the overall um, sort of goal of this was to hear, you know, both about their uh, most recent overdose, but also their history, you know, kind of their knowledge around overdose prevention, their pattern of drug use, what things they thought um, sort of triggered them or or were, you know, their reasons for for, for using. And then we also collected information about perceived needs. You know, one of the questions that was most uh, provided the richest data was, you know, asking the participants, you know, what do you think you need to help get you where you need to be? So, so tell us now about your results. Can you go through the eight themes that you established after data analysis? Sure. So in looking through these interviews, both having, you know, done them initially and then going back and and coding them and and working through them with my team, you know, it really became clear that there were, uh, these themes were sort of evolving or presenting themselves on a number of levels. And so we actually used the social ecological model, which is a model that's been around for quite some time, um, to help think about the themes that we saw. And so we saw themes sort of on the individual level, on the interpersonal level, organizational level, and structural level, sort of organize them um, sort of according to those particular characteristics. What do you think the take-home messages from this study are for anyone treating patients with opioid use disorder in the acute post-overdose period? What would you like us to take away from this study? So I think several of the key things that um, that became very, very clear from, from these interviews are that, um, you know, from an individual perspective, you know, patients' idea of sort of self-efficacy and, and motivation is, is, is very clear. Um, people, you know, have the, the sense of autonomy is incredibly important, the ability to, to, be in charge of, of making their own decisions and feeling like they're able to um, have control is something that is really quite important, you know, with all patients in the emergency department, I would expect, but particularly um, in this patient population that, that feels um, that people don't necessarily allow them to, to, to have autonomy in, in some cases. In some cases. Um, we also heard a lot about how prior experiences, both in the emergency department and in treatment settings, really influenced people's willingness to engage in treatment. Um, we heard a lot about stigma related to, particularly related to treatments for opioid use disorder, but also drug use in general. And so um, we definitely heard a lot around, you know, how prior experiences, both on the sort of the interpersonal and organizational level around um you know, stigmatizing experiences with uh, EMS or in the emergency department or treatment settings, stigma around accessing medications for the treatment of opioid use disorder, all of that really factored pretty heavily into people's willingness to um, consider uh, engaging in treatment. Uh, And then finally, I think one of the most important things that we heard was that, um, you know, often people's, you know, core needs, you know, when at, at this particular moment when they're in the ED after an overdose, you know, it mm-hmm. may not uh, 
be perceived as treatment. You know, so if you ever think about Maslow's hierarchy, um, you know, a lot of the folks that we're talking about, you know, they're really focused on housing security and housing on economic security. A lot of people, you know, focused on the idea of, you know, what I really need is a job or I need, you know, stable housing, you know. And so I think that one of my big takeaways from this was, you know, that it's really important to, you know, use either motivational interviewing or some other technique just to understand what it is that, that, you know, that patients are most focused on right now. And, to help provide a framework for them to, um, or provide access to resources for how people may be able to achieve those goals, you know, using means other than necessarily, you know, what they're thinking of. So for example, you know, many folks, you know, talked about focusing on, you know, what I really need is a job. And I think that, you know, in the emergency department, you know, if we think about, you know, we just, you know, often offer people treatment and say, you know, let's get you in treatment. Treatment is most important. Um, You just had an overdose, you could have died. And so I think that if we're able to shift our framework a little bit, you know, and actually incorporate what it is that we hear from patients around, you know, their priorities about being with their kids or or, um, getting a job and talk about how, you know, linking people to treatment may help provide some stability for them to be able to better achieve those goals. You know, we may, you know, be more successful in, in helping them get where they need. Um, and it also shows, you know, it helps establish sort of a therapeutic relationship because um, we know that, that many, many people with opioid use disorder um, have had, uh, frankly, traumatic experiences in the emergency department. And uh, the other thing that sort of came out of these interviews was people were, you know, overall just incredibly grateful to be able to talk about their experiences and their story. And it, it really, to me, highlighted how um, the fact that many of these patients don't feel like they've had a voice that has been heard um, by the, really the emergency departments in the healthcare system in general, um, you know, much of the time in the historically, historic past. Thank you. Um, so any other related research in the works? Oh, um, yes. Uh, so, I mean, I, in, in general, my, my interest is really uh, around how we can help uh, provide uh, patients' needs and help get them where they need to be, specifically around um, opioid use disorder, including linking people to treatment. Um, I'm currently uh, involved in a couple of multi-center studies through the Clinical Trials Network, looking at how we can change sort of, really it's around sort of provider behaviors around engaging people for treatment for opioid use disorder, but um, we, we've incorporated done focus groups with patients and providers um, and have had lots of sort of very interesting um, experiences around, you know, doing focus groups with patients around the country with on their experience in, in engaging uh, EDs for treatment for their opioid use disorder. Um, we're also looking at a, uh, involved in a large clinical trial looking at uh, a, an injectable form of, bu- of buprenorphine, um, comparing it to sublingual and linkage treatment outcomes for folks that are, are, are ready to, to initiate buprenorphine. So lots of exciting stuff in this space. <laughs> it is exciting. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us about your work, Dr. Hawk. And we look forward to seeing all those new studies. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. The full text of this article is available on our blog at brownemblog.com, open access for a limited time. Check out all of our podcasts on iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.